all looking good this morning? Looking good. Um, I do try to connect with our Facebook family. Uh, some of them are, you see here on Sunday, some of them, it's been a good option for them, whether um, uh, some have been recovering from surgery and some things there. Some of them have been recovering from other things. And uh, some of them are just, um, we got people watching from uh, Arizona. So it's kind of a little bit hard for them to, uh, you know, hop in the car and get here. So um, it's good to have them here. All right. Well, praise God. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2. We've been doing a series in Philippians that will take us up to Palm Sunday. Um, and then we will break for Palm Sunday and Easter, and then we'll come back and finish up Philippians. And I think it's all going to tie in well uh, with that. And I chose Philippians because I think it is laying some good groundwork for building up to Easter. We've been talking a lot about partnership. And you look at the book of Philippians, and there's this Greek word called koinonia, and it's translated fellowship or partnership in the gospel. And um, it's really a rich word in the fact that it means that we're joining arms, we're linking arms, we're working together to accomplish what God has called us to do. And that is what we see within the body of Christ. We see the big picture when you look at Scripture. It's not just one person doing this, one person doing that. It's us working together to fulfill what God has called us to do, using our gifts, our talents, our treasure, all these different things to fulfill what God has called us to do. So Philippians is one of 13 letters that Paul would write to churches and individuals that are included in the New Testament. So he writes 13 of them, Philippians being one of them. Um, it's one of the most endearing letters that he has to write. Okay, um, You have Philippians, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, and all that, but Colossians. But there's something special about Philippians and about those people. He ends up there on his second missionary journey. You can read all that if you go through the book of Acts or if you go to Denise's small group. You find out a little more about that. So it, it's really interesting to read the book of Acts along with Paul's letters because you see the overlap there and you see the, the backstory, if you want to call it that, of those of why he's there and what happened while he was there. And so some of the things that might not be included in the letter are included in the book of Acts, you know. So such as he ends up in Philippi because of a dream, of a vision. He goes there, uh, a wealthy lady who makes purple cloth uh, gets saved. She's one of the first converts. They become very involved in the ministry. I think they provide lodging for them. I think they help financially. They pray. And then... And then things are really going well in Philippi, but, you know, there's some resistance to the message. But then all of a sudden Paul and, and Silas end up in prison because they pray for a woman that's demon-possessed, right? She's a fortune teller, and, and, and they pray for her. And we talked about this in youth group, remember, guys? Remember? That was just a couple weeks ago. He prays for her, and the demon comes out, but then they're thrown in prison because of that. And uh, it wasn't... You know, Paul and Silas didn't lick their wounds. They didn't cry and mope. Instead, they're praising God, right? And in the midst of that, their chains come off. The prison doors fly open. The jailer and his whole family come to know Christ, and they're baptized that night. Truly incredible thing. But then Paul goes on from there, and he goes into Thessalonica and Berea and other places. Um, some places he's received well. Some places he had to leave in the cover of night. Um, and so that is the life of Paul. And you'll see some of that. And so what I do like about Philippians, he's writing this from prison, okay? 
um, because he's falsely accused. You can catch that in the book of Acts as well. But he's there for Christ. And it becomes, we talked about this last week, it becomes an opportunity for him to share Christ. He goes, you, you guys don't feel sorry for me, he says. He goes, this actually has worked out to advance the gospel because now he's sharing Christ to uh, fellow prison guards, to uh, uh, other people that are there in prison with him. He's sharing Christ with them. They find out why he's in prison because of his uh, belief in Christ, what Christ has done. And so he's able, it's just been a wonderful opportunity for him to share Christ. Amen? So there's a lot of richness and maturity that comes through the book of Philippians. And that even comes out more as we get to the latter part of the book. All right? So we're going to be in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. We're going to just start with 1 through 4. So before we do, let's just bow our head in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is alive, it is able to speak to us and to change and transform. It's more than just words on a page. It is your living word of God and it refreshes us, it corrects us, it guides us in the path of righteousness, Lord. Um, It is life to us. And so, Lord God, um, just as we study it today, we ask for the help of your Holy Spirit to make it come alive for us and to apply it to our individual need today. We ask it in your name. Amen. Verses 1 through 4, chapter 2. It says, Therefore, if you have had any encouragement from being united with Christ. And I love this part because um, he's asking these kind of like these questions. Have you had any encouragement from your relationship with Christ? And your answer would be yes. Okay, good. All right, we're on the same page. All right. And I, and I like the second song that we did. It says, Every blessing you pour, I turn back to praise, right? It's kind of that same thing is that God encourages us. He gives us love, his grace, his compassion. And he doesn't want us just to keep it here, right? Okay. He wants us to let it touch our life, but then he wants us to then extend it to us. As we've been touched by God's love, grace, and mercy, he expects us to then show that to the world around us. If you've had any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, fellowship in the Spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Okay? Having the same love, being one in Spirit, so unity, and being one of mine, do nothing out of selfish ambition. So he said, hey, you receive all these great blessings from God. Now I want you to also mirror those things in your earthly relationship. As you have them with your heavenly relationship, I also want you to mirror those in your earthly relationships, all right? The love, the joy, the peace, the compassion, the tenderness. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Now, we don't use vain conceit much. We would usually, what word would we use in place of that? Pride. There you go. Pride. Vain conceit or selfish ambitious. You know, that's pretty easy for us, isn't it, as a human being? talk a little more about that rather in humility value others above yourself now some translations may consider them above yourselves but i like that word value that the niv uses because i think that really captures it that um it's not like you're totally ignoring yourself but you are valuing other people and it's so easy just to to be focused on ourselves and not value the people around us value one another 
um, above yourselves, not looking at your own interests, but also the interests of others. And then he's going to go on and talk about, he's going to illustrate that. So from their relationship with Christ, they were to also mirror that in their earthly relationship. You know, I think the, the human tendency for each of us to be just as a human being is, it's all about me, right? And you don't, that doesn't even have to be taught. Just a young toddler, they learn very quickly, you know, it's all about them, right? And so you have to tell, you have to bring them up and help them grow and mature and realize it's not all about you, right? And then sometimes you graduate high school. We got some high schoolers here. You graduate high school and you think, man, I'm a star athlete in high school and I get to college and it's kind of like, <coughs> I'm a nobody, right? I think it's all about you. Um, and you realize, that, you know what, the world doesn't revolve around me. Um, and so we have to put those things aside and we have to live with some humility. If you live in the, bus- you know, in the business world, often in the business world, it's looking out for yourself, right? And we use that term cutthroat. Um, but it is all, hey, if I'm going to, if I'm going to excel and be successful and move up the ladder, it's going to be, I'm going to walk on other people to get there sometimes, right? That's what, that's what the mentality is. It, it, the idea of humility and, and putting others first. Why would we do that if that means that it's going to hurt me in the long run, right? And so we have to. Uh, imitate what Christ has done for us. So Jesus shows us a better way, all right? He didn't just tell us what we should do, but he lived among us and showed us what we should do, all right? He was the son of God, and yet he lived his life with humility. He valued the needs of others. And so people came to him that were needy, right? Whether it was somebody that was demon-possessed or somebody that was needing healing, um, he, he came to them. And he showed them value. He showed them worth. And that was important. The first thing I see in partnership in the gospel, it involves living with humility. Living with humility. Humility, I think, is often misunderstood because it is not thinking less of yourself or putting yourself down. Okay? Sometimes we think, well, if I'm going to be humble, I have to put myself down. And so we say I'm a good-for-nothing person or whatever. That's not what Scripture is talking about. So the passage that Rick Victor read at the beginning talked about each of us should have a good understanding of who we are. Not to think highly or more of ourselves than we are, but to have an accurate picture of who we are. Um, and that's hard. Why is that hard? Because if things are going well for you in life, if you're doing well in the basketball court, if you're doing well in the, in the office, if you're doing well in school, Guess what? We're March Madness is going on right now. When things are going well, man, when things are going well as a church, man, it's, you are better than what you are, think you are, right? Because everybody's putting the praise on, right? And then all of a sudden things go the opposite direction. Man, I'm struggling. Things aren't going well. Can't find my shot. And then it's like, you're worse than you are, right? We think we're worse than we actually are. And so walking in humility is kind of a slippery slope to stay on that edge where 
we, we know who we are and we're confident in who we are. We're not thinking more of ourselves than we should, but we're also not thinking less of ourselves than we should. And there's people in this room that some of you have a pride issue. And then there's others of you, you have a self-confidence issue. And neither one of them is good. We need to find that place where we know who we are as a person and who we are before Christ. I want to talk. I don't want to. That's going to be in the next point. But that's important because if we're going to walk in humility, if we're going to walk in humility, we have to know who we are. Because true humility requires us to know who we are and to block out the noise around us. It requires us to extend the same love and compassion that Christ has shown us to the people around us. And I think living with humility is easier said than done. And you may even ask, is Paul asking a big ask? In other words, is it even humanly possible? And a better question may be, how was Jesus able to walk in humility? He's the Son of God. If anybody could think highly of themselves, it was Jesus, right? He was the Son of God. He could do anything he wants to, right? Right? He owns it all. He has all-powerful, all-knowing, right? But he was able to walk in humility. So how was he able to do that? Because if we don't understand that, we can't walk in humility ourselves. Let's look at this, verses 5 through 7. This is where this passage, it's verses 5, actually 6 through 11, probably look differently in your Bible. It's because it was a song. Okay, Paul is quoting a song, a hymn of that day. All right, and um, theologians will call this the kenosis passage because of um, first part of verse 6. It did not consider equality with something uh, to be grasped. He or some translations say that he emptied himself. So that's where it comes from the Greek there. So we'll talk about that. So let's read that. It says, In your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Some translations say to be grasped, to hold on to. I'm the son of God. No way am I going to step down into the earth and take on human form and become a servant. Are you kidding me? I'm going to hold on to what I have. He did not hold jealously to what he had and who he was. He did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. You can put slave in there. It's just interchangeable. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. How could Jesus walk in humility? How could he come to earth and take human form? You know what that required for him to empty himself or to set aside things. In order to be human, he couldn't be all-knowing. Because last time I checked, I wasn't. I don't know if you are. Any of you got that gift? I don't. All right. He had to set that aside to be human. He had to set aside of being all-powerful. He couldn't, boom, you know, in the water. He couldn't do that. All, yeah, he did miracles, but he did them through God's Holy Spirit, God's power. He didn't through them through his own power. He did them through the power of the Holy Spirit, just like you and I are called to do, right? And he couldn't be everywhere at once. Now he was confined to a human body, 
He was no longer just spirit. He was human. And in order to be human, he had to set aside what we call the omnis, omniscient, all-powerful. He had to set those aside so that he could live amongst us. And beyond that, he even became a servant. He was willing to serve any of the people that came to him and to walk amongst us. This required Jesus to put our needs above his own, to do to even to the ultimately go to the cross. It required him to value us and our relationship with him. And if you ever doubt God's love, just read this passage because the only reason that Jesus went to the cross was because he loved you and he valued you above himself. And sometimes there's going to be times in your own life where you're going to say, God, I messed up, I, I, I failed you. Um, you know, we all have our baggage, folks. And we could all say, you know what, there's no way that God could love me. But God loves you so much that he says, you know what, I'm going to go to the cross for them. I'm going to set aside all these things so that they can have life. And I can spend eternity with them. It's the relationship. You follow me? You know what, Jesus illustrated that one day to his disciples. The story is found in John 13. And that day, the disciples were arguing amongst themselves, saying, hey, who's the greatest amongst us? You know, John, James, Peter. Who's the greatest? You know, guys never do that, right? You never do that, right? Especially kids, you know, who's the greatest among us? So they're there arguing, who's the greatest? Who's going to sit at my right? Jesus is right. Who's going to sit at the left, you know? Who's the greatest? And so they get to the house that night, and they came into the house, and they sat down, and something was not done. What well, was not done? Nobody washed their, their feet, which would have been a customary thing. You come into somebody's house, somebody would grab the basin, usually the servant or somebody in the house would take that servant's role and wash the people's feet. You know, they've been walking the dusty roads. It wasn't the most pleasant job, right? And it was probably reserved for the person least in the house. Okay? Nobody washed their feet, but that day Jesus took, out his out, uh, took off his outer garment, took a towel, wrapped it around him, got the basin of water, and began to wash his disciples' feet. And they were just like horrified because he was their master, he was their Lord, he was the one that, was, that they were following. And now Jesus was putting himself in the place of a servant and washing their feet. And uh, some of them were going along with it, but Peter says, no way, Lord, you're not washing my feet. There is no way you're washing my feet. And Jesus says, you know what? If I don't wash your feet, you have no right with me in the kingdom of heaven. And then Peter kind of flips. He goes, says, well, God, you know, bathe me, bathe all of me, you know. <laughs> Peter says, Jesus says, ah, the feet are just good enough. We'll just keep it to the feet. And he washed his disciples' feet. And he says, you know what? If you want to be great in the kingdom, you have to be the last, the, the least. Because whoever is the least will be the greatest, and whoever is the greatest will be last. How could Jesus not only come to earth, but be clothed with humanity and take the place of a servant? How could he do that? So it's the second principle here is he was confident of his identity in Christ. And the partnership in the gospel, I believe, requires us being confident in our identity in Christ. Why? Because if you're not confident in who you are, you're going to have a difficulty time serving. 
you know, that's, that's always the thing, like, if you're in a home, right? You know, who wants to do the dishes? Who wants to take out the trash? You know, you get, you divide up those responsibilities. But, you know, sometimes kids fight about those different things. But as a parent, the day, c- hopefully the day comes and then all of a sudden a kid just goes out there and does stuff, right? Isn't that just kind of a good feeling? All right? They just go and do it and it's kind of like, wow, I must have did something right, right? <laughs> and uh, it doesn't always happen. But, <laughs> but yeah, every once in a while you get hope, right? And it's at that moment that they do things, they serve. And the only way that we're able to really serve and do it well is if we know who we are. Because if we get our value from what we do, okay, follow me on this. If we get our value from what what we do, then we can't do the little things. We can't do the things that are mundane. We can't do the low things. Because then that means that that's who we are. And if we lose sight of who we are, then we can't serve. And so there's a phrase called your identity in Christ. What does that mean? It means it's referring to your standing and your worth before God. And it's not based upon your success. It's not based upon uh, the money you have in the bank. It's not based upon your position you hold within society. Okay, I'm a president. I'm a... I'm a mayor, I'm an executive. It's not based upon those things. It's simply based upon that I'm his child, I'm his son, or I'm his daughter, and I'm loved by him, and I'm valuable to him. That is, you're his choice possession. You're loved by him, regardless of anything else happening around you. And until you get that nailed down, it is hard to serve because you're thinking, I can't do that, that's below me, right? But see, Jesus was washed his disciples' feet. He stepped down into earth, and he was willing to serve amongst us. Why? Because he knew who he was. Just because he took on humanity, just because he became a servant, did not mean that he ceased to exist as the Son of God. He was the Son of God, never ceased in that. He knew who he was. He knew that the Father loved him, and therefore he was able to do what the the God the Father wanted of him. Amen? Uh, there's a great book called The Search for Significance. If that is all an issue, just that search for significance and the fear, it's really based in fear, folks. We're f- why don't we want to serve and do some things? Well, we're fear we're going to be rejected, failure, um, not being loved. There's a lot of fears there. And until we nail down those fears, um, we'll never be able to be confident in who we are, what God's called us to do. So, um, s- The Search for Significance by Robert McGee. So, if you need help finding that on Amazon or wherever, I'll, I'll try to help you find it. All right. Verses 8 through 11. Being found in human appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even unto what? Death. Even death on a cross. And that's important because there's, there is death and then there's death on the cross. Death on the cross was not quick. It was not, you know, painless. It was very excruciating. The Romans did it for a reason. They wanted to, it to be a symbol of pain and punishment. It was a deterrent to do crimes. And so they made it the most gruesome, cruel process they could. To say, hey, don't mess up. Because if you do, this is your, this is your destiny die on a cross 
He was obedient even to death, even death on the cross. You know, obedience means that you not only hear, so, you know, parents know this, right? Your kids can hear you, but they, that doesn't mean that they're going to do. They're not going to listen and carry out what you do, right? Listening means that you are hearing with the intention to obey. Obedience means it requires, um, well, I guess what I was going to say is obedience that requires no sacrifice is probably the easiest. And sometimes our obedience doesn't cost us much. But sometimes it does. Sometimes it means dying to myself. It's kind of like, I want to do this. And now mom and dad say I have to do this. And I'm just going, right? Right? And then we get older and we get into the workplace. And I want to do this, but my boss says I need to do this. Right? What God was asking of Jesus was not only to die. Can you imagine telling your son or your daughter to die on the cross? That's a big ask, to die a cruel death. And if you were to step into the sandals of Jesus, what would you do? Would you say, hey, I'm the son of God. I'm not going to do what the Father's asking of me. I'm going to do it my way. In fact, that's what Satan, when he tempts Jesus, right, in the wilderness, he says, hey, I am going to give you everything you want without going through the cross. Woo! That would have been a pretty good temptation because God, the Father, says, hey, I'll give you everything you want. That's what we're going to come to at the end here. But you don't, you're going to have to go through the cross to get that. The final thing we see is obedience. Partnership with the gospel involves obedience, even in the midst of sacrifice. And I wish sometimes obedience wasn't sacrificial, but often it is. It means, sometimes it just means dying to my will and saying, I can't do it my way. But sometimes for Paul, he God called him to be a light to the Gentiles. Ooh, that's, that's pretty cool, right? It's pretty cool. I get to be a light to the Gentiles. Woo! Be a church planner, do all these things. But as you read through the book of Acts, you see, you know, once he was, actually more than that, he was stoned left for dead. He was chased out of town, had to run for his life, shipwrecked. I read that, I think, a week or two ago. Obedience obedience and God calls us to walk in obedience and sometimes man just even to say no to some of the sin around us sometimes that sin has some pretty deep tentacles and reaches into our heart and our soul if we can just be honest I listened to some short sermons yesterday and I was helping to evaluate some of these young men and ladies that were preaching a five-minute message some of them was just two and a half but some of them were very vulnerable and just shared some of their own temptations and their rest, their struggles with sin. And You know, sin is there. And we're human. And sin can really be tempting towards us. We have to die to ourselves. So can somebody walk in obedience even when it requires sacrifice? Absolutely. People do it every day, actually. You look at those brave men and women in Ukraine that are fighting for their, the freedom of their country. And most of them they could leave, but there's many that are staying, they're fighting, putting their life on the line. Many have done, done so already. That's sacrifice. They're following their leader in obedience. You know, and, and God in the same way calls us 
in the gospel. And it, it looks differently for all of us. Whether it's on the mission field or whether it's in the classroom, whether it's in the workplace, to obey Christ and be a light for him is with obedience. One of the young ladies that shared her message, she just talked about um, she was homeschooled and then she got into the public schools and and she, I think she kind of started off being a witness and then she kind of thought, oh, you know, I kind of want to fit in a little bit. And uh, she just shared how this last year she's just really uh, tried to be a pink elephant <laughs> to uh, just to stand out for Christ and to be who God has called her to be. Um, and I just pre- appreciated her sharing her story. See, God has called us just to be a light for him and to obey him. Sometimes there's little sacrifice, but sometimes there may be sacrifice. And God is not asking us to do anything he didn't ask of his own son. Right? To live obedience and to live obediently. Amen. I'm going to have the musicians come. Partnership in the gospel means being like Jesus. It includes living with humility, being confident in our identity with Christ, being obedient even when it requires sacrifice. And as we near Easter observing Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, we are reminded that our salvation was costly. In fact, Lent, right? Lent. How many saw the ash on people's foreheads for Ash Wednesday? That marks the beginning of Lent. You know, it, it, there's some great symbolism there. I don't think a lot, half the people, maybe even more, don't understand what what all that means. But they're giving up something in kind of symbolism what Christ did for them. There's some good symbolism there, folks. Um, the ash and stuff probably doesn't do much if you don't understand what it means. But Jesus gave it up all for us. Because of that, it says in verse 9, it says, Therefore God exalted Christ to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge or confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? See, Jesus got that place where he was at the highest place. He was exalted. The promise that Satan even gave him. But it's for eternity. And it purchased our salvation. Amen? So what is our response? Romans 12, 1 and 2. So Victor read 3 through 13. But Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters... In the view of God's mercy, His love, His grace, His compassion, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, His pleasing, His perfect What is God calling us? He says, hey, live your life as a sacrifice to God, pleasing and holy. And so when you leave this place today and temptation comes your way and you do the right thing, God is glorified. 
when you leave this place today and, and you're given the opportunity to serve and to be a blessing to somebody else, your life is a pleasing offering to Him. God says, hmm, that's beautiful. When you leave this place and you share your hope in Christ with somebody and maybe pray with them and share that hope within you, God says, wow, that's beautiful. You make God proud. It's a beautiful offering to Him. You know, if God calls you to die for Him, which He has, some have died. Paul did. All the disciples except for John would. Um, if that's God's will, that's God's will. But I think sometimes the harder thing is for us to live for Him. To live each day for Him. And to give God, saying, God, I live my life as an offering to You. Why? Because it means that I have to die to myself so that He can be glorified in my life. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I would like just to lead us in a prayer. Just a prayer of consecration this morning. And um, I don't know if you know Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Maybe you've prayed that prayer. Maybe you just need to be brought back. I, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's been a rough week just need God to refresh your heart and your soul. To know that your sins are washed away and that you're loved by God. So I'm going to lead us in a prayer. We just all join with me in that prayer saying, Dear God, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of the times that I've gone my own way. Lord, be the Lord of my life. And Lord, allow me to live my life it's a beautiful offering to you.